Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. I'm excited to wrap up our series today and... uh, as Pastor Chris mentioned, I do want to give you an update on Heart for the House. Are you ready for it? So, um, as you know, we've been kind of walking through the book of Nehemiah. And the first section that we looked at was kind of chapters 1 to 6, looking at the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. And then this series, these four weeks, have been about giving us sort of a layer deeper, right? And so we've looked at worship, we've looked at sacrifice and giving. Um, and last week we talked about having a heart for the house and how everything Nehemiah did was to protect and preserve what was going on in the house, the worship of God and so on. And uh, so along those lines, we it was our heart for the house season, our anniversary, 98th anniversary, and we took a, a special offering. And as of Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, really, is when I got the numbers. I want to I wanted to share with you, I'm really pleased to share with you that, um, that the church has given, dramatic pause, $193,808 to heart for the house. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And so we're, we're very thankful. We're very thankful. Thankful to you for your generosity. And uh, we just believe that that number will be up over 200000 by the end of the year. And uh, we'll just use that to continue to uh, allow GT to be a city on a hill that's shining bright for many to see. So thank you so much for your, your support. And I, I would say that we saved the best for last in our series. Um, We're going to go back to chapter 8, because if you recall with me sort of the storyline of the book of Nehemiah, um, we got chapter 6 and the wall was rebuilt. We got to chapter 7 in the first verse, and the very first thing they did was call in the worshipers, set up worship, because that was the whole point, was that they could worship in freedom and in safety. And we kind of jumped forward. We looked forward into chapter 10, where they outlined a little bit of how they were going to give and support God's house. We looked at chapter 12, where there was this beautiful picture of them um, celebrating the dedication of the wall. But let's go back now to chapter 8. Because from chapter 7 to chapter 8, um, after the verse that Pastor Adam preached out of in, in verse 1, there's this long, detailed list of all the exiles that came back. It was like a, it was like a blast from the past. In fact, Ezra records the same thing in his book as well. So the point that I'm making is we're going to skip that because it was more of a historical, genealogical, uh, returning, exiles returning kind of thing. And we're going to get to chapter 8, where we see what actually happens after they establish worship. And what we see is their heart for the Word, their heart for God's Word. And I'm going to talk about that today, because I just think in our day and in our culture, we have to come to the point where we say, God's Word is still God's Word. And we're going to believe it, and we're going to follow it, we're going to learn how to interpret God's word as we look at the culture around us and we say, you know what? God's word has something to say here in the midst of our culture. And if, and if God's word doesn't have something to say about that specific issue, why? And usually it's because God's word says something else. 
And that something else gives us direction for our lives. That makes the question that maybe we're getting from the culture irrelevant in light of what God said about that. Are you following me? And so in other words, we're rooting our lives in God's word. And, and so that's what was happening, actually, this time of rebuilding uh, in, for the, the people of Israel. And so I want to read with you, starting in verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit of chapter 8 together today, and we're going to learn together. And I want to just encourage you to lean in as we read. If you don't have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, I'm not going to be flipping here and there and everywhere, so it would be hard for you to follow If you want to grab that Bible in front of you, you can. If you want to follow along on the screens, you can. There's merit. If you have your own Bible, jumping into chapter 8 and following along, I'm going to start in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate was in the southeast corner of the city of Jerusalem on the wall. Okay, so they came right there. There was a square there, and they met. They told Ezra... The teacher of the law, who, by the way, by this time would have been an old man, kind of the the sage, if you will, of the people, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So what was this book of the law? It would have been the first five books in your Bible known as the Pentateuch. This is where God spoke to Moses. Moses wrote it down and passed it down generation to generation. This was the teaching that God had for the people at the time. This was the law. Okay, so we need to make a connection today between the law of the Old Testament and the Bible that we now hold, which includes the the New Testament as well. So on the first day of the seventh month, And now we're getting some context of the time of the year. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So have the sense that maybe there were teenagers, maybe some preteens, maybe the children were off playing, but those who could understand were there. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. Wow, that's a long reading from daybreak until noon, and they're all standing there listening to Ezra. And then this last little phrase, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This last little phrase should not be overlooked because this is powerful. We're now beginning to a picture, and we'll continue to set the scene in the next several verses. But what's going on here is Ezra's reading the law. The people are responding by standing in the presence of the word being read, and they're listening attentively. And the reason why they're listening attentively is because there was a historical point here. There was a time where Israel failed to listen attentively, and the result wasn't good. And so now they're returning. They're returning back. They're in the land. And what they're saying is listening will help us obey and obedience will bring blessing. And so we're going to listen closely, attentively, attentively. The reason why is because if we don't listen, we'll fail to obey. If we fail to obey, we will end up in exile. The greatest fear that the people carried was that they were once again going to have to go into exile, go back into exile. And so there was this common heart to listen and obey the law, to understand the words God gave to Moses in the Old Testament and to live them out. And there is a concept for us here, friends. 
The concept for you and for me is that we too can fail to listen and therefore find ourselves disobedient and as a result experience our own form of exile. It's a pattern. We see it over and over again. And I'm not necessarily talking about salvation at this point. I'm not talking about being spiritually bankrupt. But what I am saying is there are places where we can go where all of a sudden we're no longer obeying God's word. We're no longer listening. So we have now moved into a new place of disobedience. And as a result, in our very souls, exile begins to grow. The voice of God is faint. The ways of God are are uninteresting to us. The plan of God has no bearing on our choices. The will of God is no longer affecting our lifestyle. This can happen. Exile in our very souls. And so this was a concern for them. It's still a concern for us today. I hope what we're seeing here is the value of listening attentively to the word of God giving attention to the word of God. In the New Testament, God spoke to Jesus and then Jesus spoke to the people. That was kind of the way it went. He said, Jesus said, I don't say anything that my father hasn't told me to say. So this was the relationship, but there are two occasions where God's voice is recorded from heaven in the presence of Jesus. It was about Jesus in the hearing of the people. The first one was at Jesus's baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, there's a voice that comes from heaven and says, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. And the Bible says that people heard that voice. Then there's another place where Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up on a high mountain called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And before them, Jesus is transformed into this gleaming white um, being before their very eyes. And others come, those who have, have, have passed on but were um, uh, uh, key, key figures in, in, in historical um, life of Israel. And they're there with Jesus. And Peter is so dumbfounded, he starts talking rather than listening, right? And he starts to talk and he's like, oh, let's build shelters and, and this is amazing. And wow. And while they're still in that moment of awe, God's voice speaks. And God says something else. He says, this is my son whom I love Listen to him. You notice how I did that? I just brought the microphone really close for dramatic effect. Thank you. Listen to him. Listen to him. In other words, listen attentively. And it's beautiful because John was there. And John wrote the gospel of John. And John tells the story about Jesus as the word right? All of a sudden, we're getting the picture here. Listening attentively to Jesus is what it's all about. Hearing his voice and understanding that the word was once written, but now is also living. All the people listened attentively to the written word. This word listen here is the Hebrew word sama. And this word is a wonderfully active and alive kind of word. Sometimes we think of listening as being passive. In fact, you, I, I wouldn't be able to accuse any of you of not listening, but you may not be. You may be shopping on Costco online right now, right? Because the Wi-Fi is free and you're welcome, right? But you can be here, you can be hearing, but not listening, 
And Sama makes this beautiful picture so very clear for us because Sama means undivided attention and applied understanding. So what we're seeing is the people were actively listening. They were leaning in. They were wanting to hear. They were attentive and they were looking to apply what they were hearing to their own lives. And so for us as New Testament believers... To listen to the word means listening to Jesus, the living word, but also learning the Bible and actively applying its truth to our lives and listening to the Holy Spirit as Jesus speaks to us through him. That's your New Testament Sama. So in Nehemiah, the Israelites carried such a reverence for God's word that they literally stood in the presence of it being read. And the reason why they did this is because they knew that if they failed in reverence, they would become victimized by spiritual lies. And right now we're living in a culture that is terribly victimized by spiritual lies. We live in a culture that is beginning to try to reprogram every aspect of life. And that pressure comes even as an assault against the very nature of God, against the very word of God, against the church corporately and against the Christian as an individual. And so we face this pressure and friends, we need God's word. We need the grounding that it brings. We need to listen attentively and apply what we're learning. Okay, so let's read on. Verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Are you seeing the picture? Here's this old man standing up on the platform. And Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is a dramatic image, friends. This is powerful image of how they chose to visibly display their reverence and honor for God's word. It's a powerful image. We see a posture of submission. We hear what they're actually saying is that we honor and we trust in your word, Lord. See, the words of God carried such value for them. And I think that's for many reasons, but let me give you just a few. The first one I'll give you is this, that that as they valued the word, they learned that the word brings an awareness of sin. Yes, I said the S word, sin. It's a word that we don't like to hear much about, but when we allow God's word to really be something we pay attention to, we become aware of sin. Here's what happens in verse seven. The Levites instructed the people in the law while while the people were standing there, verse eight is probably the most important verse today. Look at what it says. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. You see, it's one thing to hear the word. It's another thing to understand it. It's another thing to be able to apply it to your life. And so what was happening here was there was translation being made from ancient text to modern and current situation. Let us tell you what was meant. Let me show you where we are. Let me tell you through God's word where we should be. And as a result, this, this, this understanding begins to come. 
And, and something happens to the people in the midst of actually understanding the word. Maybe for some of them, for the very first time, hearing it and understanding it. Verse 9 says, the Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Wow. The response from the people when they understood the reality of own lives in connection to God's law was to weep. They saw the disparity. They saw the distance. And I I want you to understand that this is something that God wanted for his people. The word itself, it has the ability to strike us with the reality of our own sin. The Bible says that the word is a sword that cuts deep into us so that we can see our sinful nature. But the goal is not grief. The goal is not weeping. The goal is repentance that brings transformation and life. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's like sin is a, the awareness of sin is a valley we pass through so that we can fully grasp the beauty of atonement. We can fully understand the depth of salvation. We can choose repentance and really know what it is that we're choosing so that then we can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. In fact, Paul writes it this way. He says, I wouldn't even know what sin is if it wasn't for the law. It actually helps me become aware of sin. But sin and the awareness of sin, the grief and the mourning attached to it is a valley to pass through, not a place to live. We shouldn't live in that pain. We shouldn't live in that grief. We shouldn't see Jesus as still dead on the cross. He's risen, amen? And life abundant belongs to you and to me as a result. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why. Because your word makes me aware and also gives me the ability to not choose sin. But remember what we learned about John who stood with Jesus on the mountain. John said, Jesus is the word. And so we have this beautiful picture of letting Jesus into our life, having Christ come and cover us, having Christ's redemptive work, having the salvation that is so complete that we can stand right before God because Christ has filled our lives. Now that's the word that I want to hide in my heart. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Second, second thought I'll give you on this value that they carried They understood that the truth of the word ultimately leads to joy. That's why they were encouraged not to weep. That's why they they had to say, no, 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 don't, don't cry. This is a good day. This is a holy day. This is a day when God's word comes alive. And here's what Nehemiah, what verse 10 says. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. So have a party, invite everybody, be generous. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you heard that before? The joy of the Lord is your strength. But now you see it rooted in its context. It was a truth 
transformational verse. It was about realizing sin and then realizing joy in the strength of the Lord that comes from choosing to embrace God's truth. And as a result, I am filled with strength and joy. I'm starting to preach a little bit here. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people. I love the shepherding here. I just see it. It's so, so, so beautiful, so vivid to me. Just calmed all the people saying, be still, be still, for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. Don't grieve. There was this sense that we can't live in that valley. We can't live in all of the pain that brought us into exile. We can't we can't stay in an exiled soul. We got to move through that. And, and the reason why is because they knew that the word was a path to joy. They knew that and they knew that's where they were going, but the sun was starting to set. They had been out there all day. And so they had to help the people make transition. And I sometimes pick up my word and I start reading and I feel convicted. I feel challenged by what I read. And all of a sudden I feel the Holy Spirit come and just bring the grace of Jesus and his empowerment to be able to live my life differently. That's important. It's not just the shame or the pain or the heaviness of understanding my sin, but it's the grace and the empowerment of the spirit to walk up out of that. Amen. We need that. And that's, that's the process of listening intently to the word. Sometimes I'm reading and it feels just like the words come alive and my heart is warmed and it feels like Jesus is so near and I have an understanding, a revelation in the word. And I realize Jesus You're my master mentor. You're teaching me today. And as a result, I have joy. I have joy. Joy comes, ultimately comes as we understand the word. Then all the people, verse 12, went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. I'm so glad our next series is called Joy. We're going to have so much fun because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Friends, understanding actually does bring joy when you really understand. Right now, we feel like we're swimming in ambiguity. There's no clarity anywhere and our culture is not helping us and there seems to be an assault and we almost for some of us, we're a little bit afraid to say what the Bible says. We're in, a, we're in these tough spots, and as a result, there's no joy. But listen, when you grab onto truth, when you hold onto it with both hands, when you hold the word close, and when the Holy Spirit illuminates it, you're going to have some joy, friends. You're going to have clarity. You're going to know God's voice, and you're going to understand. To understand means to stand under. And so if we want to really understand the word, why don't we allow ourselves to stand under it rather than trying to lord over it? Rather than trying to make it say what we think it should, why don't we just stand under the word and let it wash over us? That's joy, friends. That's joy. Third thought I'll give you is the word produces a desire for obedience. Obedience was what sprung up. Okay, so we've got to the end of the first day. That was a big day, wasn't it? Okay, they all went to sleep happy. They had lots to eat. Tummies were full. They were excited. The next day, Here's what happens. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. All of a sudden, they're going to listen. In, they're going to listen attentively to the words of the law again. But now it's the leadership. It's all the heads of the families getting together and saying, "What are we actually going to do?" We felt 
conviction. We felt the direction of God. What do we do now? And they discovered that it was the seventh month. In the seventh month, you're supposed to do the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they thought, oh my goodness, this is when the people of Israel celebrated that they lived in shelters in the wilderness. And so we go get sticks and branches and palm leaves and we build shelters and we live in them. And the Bible says in that whole section, they had such great joy. Why? Because they found a pathway to obedience. And as a result, there was just this overwhelming sense of happiness. And so I want to take you now into a New Testament context for just a moment around this idea, the word producing a desire for obedience. And I want you to know that as I have read the word, what I have learned is that the word actually helps me to develop a greater heart for the word. The more I read it, the more I want to read it. The more I allow it to be born in me, it causes me to want more. And I think this is such an important piece. The word actually produces a desire for the word. So you can get into that, that, you know, that, that circular um, uh, side kind of um, little cove where there's no flow anymore, and you just circle around there. But if you just allow yourself to come back out into the main flow, just allow the word again to be present in your life, just allowing it to wash over you, then what you're going to begin to desire and want is more of God's word. And I want to tell you, that would be a beautiful thing. I've been reading Psalm 119. I've read it for many days in a row now. And Psalm 119 is the longest piece of literature in the Bible. It is long. It is like a lot of verses, hundreds of verses. And so I, I would have a tendency to be reading the book of Psalms and get to Psalm 119 and just go, let's go to Psalm 20, right? Because it's like three pages long. It's like super long. And and, and what I've found is that when I, when I sit down and I read it thoughtfully, it takes me 18 minutes. I've been afraid of spending 18 minutes reading the Bible. And I, for some of you might be saying, oh, that seems really long. That seems boring. But let me just ask you, how many Netflix shows did you watch yesterday? <laughs> right? Or how many are you going to watch when you get home? I mean, 18 minutes doesn't seem like a long time when you put it in perspective. But here's what I've learned about this particular psalm. It's so powerful. I actually believe that it becomes a catalyst for us in, in living out the message today that I'm sharing with you. Because it is, a, it is written to God about his own word. It's, it's such a unique perspective. The whole time, the psalm isn't talking to you, it's talking to God. And what it's talking to God about is the word that God wrote. It's talking about loving the word, loving the law. It's the Old Testament. So he's, he's talking about this picture of relationship, the beautiful relationship that he has with God's word. And he begins to unpack it and describe it in such beautiful ways. And he uses all of these statements. And, and the reason why relationship is key in this concept when it comes to the word, is because we can use things that are dead, but we must relate to things that are alive. And here's the key. You can hold your smartphone in your hand and you can use it, but you must relate to the Bible because the Bible's alive. It's God's word and it's alive. So we have to relate to it. And so the psalmist helps us with this picture. It's awesome. He helps us with this picture. He creates several statements, so many. I'm just going to give you a few that actually show us this beautiful depth of relationship that he had to God's word. And so as I share them with you, here's what I want you to consider. What would it require you believing 
in order to write this for yourself with authenticity and integrity? What would you have to believe in order to write these things? Here's what he says. I will obey your decrees. 11 times he says that. I love your commands. I meditate on your precepts. I will not forget your law. I delight in your decrees. I keep your statutes. I have put my hope in your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. I do not turn from your law. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I have sought out your precepts. I have not departed from your laws. I will follow your righteous laws. I learn your righteous laws. I have hidden your word in my heart. With my lips, I recount all the laws that have come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. I will not neglect your word. I have set my heart on your laws. This is my favorite one. I run in the path of your commands. I trust in your word. I will speak of your statutes before kings. I remember and find comfort in your ancient laws. Your decrees are the theme of my song. Isn't that beautiful? I have turned my steps to your statutes. I trust in your commands. I will ponder your statutes. I gain understanding from your precepts. I will always have regard for your decrees. I stand in awe of your laws. I consider all of your precepts right. My heart trembles at your word. I have chosen your precepts. Oh, these statements. These statements, they represent true love. They represent deep trust. They represent total submission. Are you seeing it here? They give us a view of God's word as a source of life, joy, peace, and comfort. And I want to just go into the, the tension of this with you because I would believe that for many of us, myself included, that this is such a challenge to my view of God's word from time to time. The way he loves God's word. And finally, final reason why, you know, in what I'm going to give you about why the law, the word carried such value for the people of Israel and for us as well is that the word has the power to change a nation. I mean, if you follow the storyline, friends, that's exactly what happens. So chapter 8 gather around God's word. Chapter 9, they repent and they write out their repentance. This is what we've done. This is what was wrong. We didn't do it. We did it. And so there's this sense of repentance. And then they get to the very end of chapter 9 and they make a bold commitment, a vow to God to, to bind themselves with an agreement. And then in chapter 10, it outlines their vow. It's so beautiful. We're going to live according to your word. We're going to honor your commands. We're going to follow all your ways. We're going to do the stuff that you commanded the Israelites to do that they never did. We're going to do it. And basically what was happening here is the whole of the nation was bowing their knee to God in heaven. Friends, is there any picture more beautiful than a nation that bows its knee to God? 
I know some of your hearts. I know you've prayed. You've prayed for God to move in our nation. You believe for God to move in our nation. You you can imagine with me loved ones being saved, politicians being transformed, Supreme Court judges being, being alive in Jesus, university professors bowing their knee, city counselors and high school students and young professionals all bowing their knee to Jesus. It's in our hearts, friends. Yeah. Yes. You know, I I found myself in my time of rest praying for a move of God in Canada and believing that somewhere along the journey of COVID, God, you could do something. You've got our attention. And I want to share with you the word that I feel like God gave me. And I want to tell you, I share it humbly. I share it with some intrepidation. It was a tremendous challenge to me. But as I was praying for God to move in our nation, I felt like God said to me, it's a grace upon the church that I haven't moved and I haven't sent revival because the church doesn't know my word. I felt so struck by that as someone who stands in this place and is a part of this great church. Really, God? The lack of the knowledge of your word, the lack of understanding and attention to your word, that's what's keeping you from moving in our nation. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that we can't steward a revival that shakes the nation unless we know and love and obey God's word. There's no way to steward it. You know what would happen? We would quench the spirit as God begins to move. And more than that, we would idolize those that God chooses to use and put them on some big platform somewhere. And we would be guilty of doing what the Israelites did. They didn't listen. They didn't obey. They worshiped idols and they went into exile. So I felt like what God was saying to me is that it starts with us, church. Starts with you and it starts with me. I've got to know this word. I've got to know this place of life. I've got to understand what God says and why he says it. And I need to choose to stand with God. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. If you have your physical Bible with you, why don't you grab it? If you don't, what I'd like you to do is grab one of the Bibles in in the pew in front of you. If you're at home, grab your Bible. And I know there's a lot of us here and there's only a few Bibles and we all will want to sanitize afterwards. But if you can kind of just get your fingers on, even just one finger on a Bible, just you can, you can share one. I just want you to have one in your hand. And I believe it's symbolic today. What I want to do is I want to make a declaration before God with you, my friends, my family. I want to make a declaration to God that we're standing for this word, that we're believing this word, that this word is going to be our guide that this truth is going to dictate our behavior, our lifestyle, our choices, that we're going to stand by this word and we're going to hold high God's word as truth. I want you to pray with me, but could you do with me what they did in ancient Israel? Could we stand to our feet? Not that we're going to read the word, but we're going to revere it. We're going to honor it because it's also alive. We're going to relate to it. So I ask you to pray with me. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift that I hold in my hands. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would teach us. Teach us how to love your word. 
Like the writer of Psalm 119, Lord, where we relate to your word as the most precious thing in our lives. Lord, that we would realize your truth is available to us. Lord, illuminate the word so that we might understand, that we might be led by your spirit into truth, that Jesus, living word, captivate us, capture us, come and resonate within us come and take residence in our lives. And today, God, on this day, this last day of October, in the year 2021, we, GT Church, go on record as saying, we will live by your word. We honor you, God, and we stand under your word. It is our truth. It is our life. It is a source to us. And we believe that the word is alive and we invite its work in us. Jesus, living word, be honored here today. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 We're going to sing together in just a minute. But I just want to give you something really practical to do in the month of November. I, I really think Psalm 119 can be a source of encouragement and inspiration for us as a church. And it's, it's divided up into 22 stanzas. So it's just like eight verses. And you could read it over the course of this month, just reading one stanza a day every work day. And you just have to pick two weekend days somewhere to add a little extra to get it done in the month of November. And in doing so, what we're going to say is, God, just just let us practice Sama, right? That listening, that attentiveness to God's word, that that sense of like, we're going to apply this. So what does that mean? I'm going to read those eight verses and I'm going to say, God, speak to me. And when God speaks to me, I'm going to write down what I think he's saying out of those verses. I'm going to meditate on them. Maybe I'm going to learn it. Maybe I'm going to memorize it. I actually had a friend say to me, hey, I'm going to challenge you. Why don't you memorize the, the, the Psalm, 119th Psalm? I said, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. But the Bible says if we hide his word in our heart, we will not sin against him. So let me just put that out there for you. Why don't we do that together this month and see if it doesn't inspire us to just dig in somewhere else in God's word and to feel his presence at work in us. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Psalm 119, 32.